0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, recording this on Thursday, September 29th, two days before the Grizzlies' first preseason game against the Milwaukee Bucks. So we're excited to get actual basketball back, and we are going to talk about some actual basketball stuff with our guests. But first, let me tell you, I can keep in touch with the blog, with the podcast network. So Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog on SB Nation covering the Memphis Grizzlies. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. And GBB Live is the flagship podcast for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Alongside the Starting Five, the Core Four, the Next Gen Podcast, and soon Grizzly Bear Bets. Wherever you get your uh, your, uh, podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything. Grizzly Bear Blues is right there. Once again, I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me is a columnist for the Daily Miphian, Chris Harrington. Chris, how are you doing this afternoon? What's up, Parker? Uh just, just came over from FedEx Forum where I
1: ate some of the new food and saw some of the new stuff. It's not that exciting. It's okay. It's not you didn't you, you didn't miss much. <laughs> All
0: right. That's I I was hoping I wasn't. I, I didn't uh I didn't know about that till this morning. Obviously, coming from Carville, that kind of would have been a little bit trek. So, yeah, no, it, hey, upgrades basically, are all nice. Basically, they're opening
1: up part of the um the very the upper terrace level on the West End, sort of where the main lobby is. They're opening mm-hmm. up part of that for a standing room only, like get you know mix and mingle bar kind of situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. out
1: seats. So there we go. That that's the that's the news of the day.
0: That'd be pretty cool, though. That'd be kind of cool, yeah. but. I did not get to attend uh, media day this year as uh, my future brother-in-law and his uh, lovely bride got married in Charlottesville, Virginia this uh, past weekend. So I was traveling on media day, Uh, but Chris was there and Chris, you know, you covered a lot of media days. I myself have covered about four or five media days. There's a lot of stuff from media day, whether it's the Grizzlies or just the NBA as a whole where it's like. Yeah, you're supposed to say that. Sure. But was there anything in particular that kind of just caught your eye about this year's media day?
1: I mean, you know the the news, <clears throat> the news elements, such as they were, were about Jaron's return, about you know trying to tease out the pecking order while Jaron's out, and even after Jaron comes back, they have a front court spot open even after Jaron comes back to replace Kyle Anderson. And then I think, you know, what may or may not have been a Brandon Clark slip up in terms of his contract. Those are probably the newsiest things that happen Mm -hmm. to me. The interesting thing, and this sort of taps into what I I think you want to talk about, is that there was a lot of self-awareness from a lot of players about basketball stuff. Like sort of unprompted, you know, Brandon Clark unprompted saying, "I," you know, he didn't say like Jaron's out. This is my chance. He said, man, I want Jaron back because I play really well with Jaron. Right. Um, And and John Conchar saying unprompted, I need to I need to shoot more. And Dylan Brooks saying unprompted multiple times, I need to shoot more efficiently. Uh, These are players who like understand they're seeing the same things we are and their coaches are talking Mm -hmm. to them about it. And like, they're very self-aware about like, you know, the the, the things that work and the things that don't and the things they need to do on the floor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know that from, you know, scrolling on Twitter and I want to give credit to uh, one of my associate editors, Brandon Abraham for his coverage on media day. The the two things that kind of stood out to me were for one, the conf- the vote of confidence in Salty Aldama. That right was that was something that kind of caught me off guard. I thought it was going to be one of the rookies, to be honest, that would get that vote of confidence. But your t- it was really your tweet where Dylan Brooks multiple times brought up how could he become a more efficient scorer? And you know, we love self-awareness. Uh, he's kind of had that self-awareness about himself when it comes to like playmaking stuff, but we've never seen it with the shooting. And you know, I wrote about this on Grizzly Bear Blues. This is this is his biggest season yet, with now a clear pecking order, an ideal pecking order for him ahead of a contract year. Just with with this goal, this self just self-reflection goal of his of becoming a more f- efficient shooter. What? How do you see those shots coming? Because I don't want him to be just kind of these stationary 3 and D guys because there is value in his shots when he's focused because, you know, mid-range shots, he has the size, the physicality, and the elevation to get to those spots. But at the same time, he has those bonehead shots. So how do you envision a quote-unquote more efficient Dylan Brooks?
1: You know his his mid range shooting in terms of you know his his percentages making them is actually not that bad. It's just that it's you know it's a lower lower percentage kind of shot in terms of in terms of what you get out of it. Um, and it's you know he's he is really good. It's funny to me and I haven't written about Dylan yet. I'll do that probably next week. Um, but I think I've written this before. It's funny when I watch the broadcast and Dylan Brooks will make some tough shot and you know shout out to Pete and Brevin this I'm not mm-hmm. these are my guys but they'll always say tough tough shot maker and under my breath I always say tough shot taker
0: yep um, <laughs> which is what,
1: what Dylan is um he is very good at getting and okay pretty good at making bad shots but you don't want that many bad shots right that needs to be that needs to be to me he needs to bring, he needs to change his shot diet in terms of distribution, but he also needs to change his shot diet in terms of volume. Right. And so yes, guess he needs to be a more efficient scorer. He also needs to be less of a scorer, I think. Uh, and maybe those things go hand in hand, but I think part of that is Dylan. A lot of it is Dylan, but part of it is the team construct. I mean, you know, two years ago, Jaron's out the whole Jaren, Dylan Brooks, skill set wise should be a fourth option. Right. Right. Well, well, Two years ago, Jaron's out the whole season. So he's, he was one of the three best scorers with, with Ja and Jonas on that team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Last season, because of all the, alter, A, the alternating injury stuff between him and Ja, they didn't actually play together that much all season. And then Jaron's offense disappeared on him all year. And right. so what you want, the, what what the Grizzlies need, and, and there's no guarantee that it, this will work, but they haven't had a chance to test it out, is put a team on the floor in which, in which Dylan Brooks should be the fourth option on that team and then see if he will become the fourth option on that team. And we haven't we haven't had consistently over long periods of time a team in which, frankly, he should be the fourth option. Um, it, it's been a problem of lack of creators and lack of scorers around him in part. And, you know, we got 11 games last year. That was, I believe it was 11. That was him, Ja, Dez, and Jaron. And that was Jaron having a bad offensive season. And so I, I want to see what the Grizzlies basketball looks like with John Morant, with this Desmond Bain, with a bounce back Jaron Jackson Jr. and then Dylan Brooks. And if Dylan Brooks can't be the fourth option, if he can't sort of find a comfort zone and accept sort of being a fourth option in that lineup co- construction, if you can keep it together for multiple weeks and then keep everyone healthy and they really give it a run, then I think you have a problem. Um, you have a problem now. I am not willing to call it a, an unsolvable problem until you get you get a
0: chance to solve it. Right, and like for me, it's one of those things where I'm kind of looking at it. It's like, you know, I want to say last year was a little unfair. I did pull a stat into my column about how he was eighth in field goal attempts per 100 possessions this past season, but yeah. I think it's unfair because a lot of those games came without Jaw. But well, I mean, just, this has been a pattern. Yeah.
1: I, I don't like last year. He Dylan only played like 31, 32 games. You had the Jaw mm-hmm. thing. But you go back to two years before that, and I don't have the exact comps. I've, I wrote it at the time, but I don't remember what it was. But each each of those previous two seasons, there were very few players in the league who shot as much as Dylan and as poorly, right? right. Like, I don't remember who the comps were. It
0: was like um, Ross and Kimba, I believe.
1: Yeah, it was, it, was those, it was definitely those kind of players, right? Yeah. But in terms of like taking a certain number of shots at a certain true shooting percentage, each of the each of those two seasons, there were only like one or two players league wide who like matched the volume and inefficiency right of Dylan Brooks. So it is a real problem. I'm not trying to say it's not a real problem. I'm just not ready because I value his defense so much, which we can get mm-hmm. into, um, and because I think he is not he is inefficient and and, and overused, but he's not Tony Allen on offense. Like there's real scoring ability there that I think is right. useful to a team. And so I, I, you know, I'm not willing to to throw it out. And the other thing I'll say is that I I think, and I wrote about this kind of a little bit earlier this week in my John Morant column. I think that last season's team was too reliant on John Morant to create. And that's especially became the case in the playoffs. And if you go back and look, you know, once John Morant is out in that Warrior Series, and that's where people got really upset with Dylan. And in the fourth quarter of, I guess, game four, there was a reason to be upset with Dylan. But on the for the most part, once Shaw went out, I don't know where they were finding shots. Uh, if you look at Game Six, the, the last game they played, I mean, they, you know, Dylan scored 30 on low efficiency; it was like 11 to 28 or whatever. They couldn't they couldn't generate good shots anywhere. And you know, Jaron wasn't doing it, Tyus wasn't doing it. I, I, I think they need to build a team where there's enough shot creation around him that he would be pushed into the fourth option. And if he still can't do that, if, he, if if you're playing with with John Morant, Desmond Bain, and Jaron Jackson, and you're still taking the second most shots, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I think probably the biggest thing that might be the reason why it's such of a concern is because when he does that, it's a detriment to Desmond Bain, who is a yep. very efficient scorer, and it's a detriment to Jaron Jackson Jr. But, I mean, if, he, if Jaron struggles – offensively like he did this past season it's a 3a 3b with him and dylan when it comes to offensive pecking order in my opinion but but that's not what it should be
1: right ideally that's not what it is yeah right
0: yeah and so i mean we kind of touched on it and i think there is a way where you can get dylan to play his game without sacrificing much from bane and jaron and that's staggering him more with the second unit unit because he's doing that against second units instead of doing it against other teams starting lineups. But do you think that with this goal of an efficient shooting, I know we've talked about how he needs to lower his field goal attempt number. Do you think it will yield Dylan Brooks going from a guy that's shooting 15 or 20 times a game to maybe like 10 or 12, maybe 15? I do.
1: I, I you know, I, I may very well
0: be proven wrong about that, but, but I, but I do think
1: that is there, it's still there to be found. Because I think Dylan really, really cares about winning, and mm-hmm. I think if, if I think I think he will be willing to settle in at least a little bit in terms of that role. Um, the, the thing about you know letting him play more of a bench unit, I go back and forth on this. I don't, maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe I don't know where I'll land if I, when I end up writing. Sometimes I figure out what I think. I don't figure out what I think until I'm writing. Honestly, um, I used to be team like maybe Dylan should be a six man a couple of years ago. And I've sort of come, I've sort of changed my tune on that because of the defense. I, I think if, if the number one skill you have is guarding the other team's best on ball player, almost not entirely, but almost regardless of position, I think you wanna you wanna be on the floor when those players are on the floor, which means you're you're sort of playing more against other starters. I think the fact that Desmond Bain, that they were so good last season in non-point guard lineups where Desmond Bain was sort of your quasi-point guard, I almost see flipping it the other way where. Like Dez is the early sub who comes in and leads bench units, and, and he gets mm-hmm. a lot of shots up in those situations. And maybe you tie Dylan to Ja a lot more, A, because he can help He can help make up – he can help cover Ja's defense. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be no question who the number one option is on offense whenever Ja Morant's on the floor. And I, so I think I may go the other way with that, where I tie Dylan more to Ja – and have bane be the guy who's getting a lot of shots up on you know with more second unit kind of kind of lineups
0: yeah that that actually would be fairly great idea to be honest and also too it, it kind of gives you more time where your two best offensive players are on the floor at all times yeah no that's right yeah, so and I, I think that's a good point and You know, I I do – it's one thing that's so confounding with Dylan Brooks. You know, he's so polarizing. His flaws are quite magnified. I think it's just scapegoat culture a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time, the past two seasons, the Grizzlies have been better with him on the floor, and that differential has been better than any other player on the Grizzlies. I want to say they've been about 8.5 points per 100 possessions better in each of the past two seasons with him on the floor. And I want to see like, where, where do you think that comes from? Because obviously with his defense, his point of attack defense, his stopping that's, that's covered ad nauseum. He does it. But at the same time, he doesn't generate the defensive events or, and also right. the fouling that kind of takes him out of the conversation the mainstream eyes. But where, where is that? Cause I mean, if you're having this guy, He's a shot chunker, takes bad shots and all that, but the team's still unequivocally better with him on the floor. Like, where does that come from? Yeah, it's
1: interesting. I mean, he is a guy when you look at defensive individual defensive, like playmaking kind of stats, he does not show very well in those. When you look at you know, on off court kind of kind of stuff, he shows very well in those. Uh, Ty, in this case, because I unlike the other 29 teams in the league, I watch every Grizzlies game. Ty is going to go to my eyeballs, and I think he makes him—he's a, a massive impact defensive player—is my sense of things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think it's interesting to me. And you didn't—the sample is small last year, but whenever Dylan and Jaron played together last season, the Grizzlies defense was was you know was better than best in the league. It was, whatever right. the Celtics—the Celtics number was when Dylan and Jaron were together, it was like better than that. Mm -hmm. The year before when Jaron was out, the same thing was, was true. Roughly. I wrote about it. I don't remember the exact numbers, but the same thing was generally true with Dylan and Kyle together. And so I think we've seen that combination of Dylan Brooks as I am just focused on my guy. I'm guarding the guy with the ball more than likely. And I'm focused on him. I'm not trying to get steals. I'm not trying to get blocks. I'm not trying to get rebounds. I'm not, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm focused on this dude. Yeah. Dylan Brooks focused on the dude. And then a great help defender behind him just sort of like, you know, roaming around and, and, and creating chaos like Kyle Anderson in his career best year and Jaron Jackson mm-hmm. even more so last year. I think that is a foundation for great defense, you know, depending right. on what else is around them. But I, I'm a believer in that as the defensive foundation. And so we won't see it opening night because Jaron won't be there. But, I, I, you know, I, I'm just a believer in Jaron and Dylan together. It's a foundation for great defense. And – Ja, Dez, and Jaron, if they can all go at the same time, I think will push Dylan into that, that lower role. Now, mm-hmm. are there going to be times where Dylan takes bad shots? Yes. But I still think e- e- even with Ja, Dez, and Jaron going, I think Grizzlies have a problem of not enough offensive creators. I mean, if you start looking around to what the rest of the rotation is going to be this season, I mean, you know, Conchar is a low usage guy. Steven Adams, you know, a low usage, or a low score, low scoring guy. Um, Xavier Tillman, if he's going to play, doesn't take a lot of shots. Um, we're, we'll see. I think Zaire Williams will be important. I, I think, you know, Brandon Clark, more of a finisher than a shot creator. Um, you know, LaRavia, if he plays, I like, wouldn't even get up shots in the summer league. I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I think it would be helpful if a guy, a guy like Zaire Williams, took a real step forward. If Santi Aldama is actually good enough to stick, because I think he'll be able to create shots. Whether mm-hmm. they go in or not, it's a different question. But I think he'll be exactly. a guy who generate who generate shots. Um, but I think I think keeping Dylan on the floor with multiple other creators, and so you don't get into as many situations where, where he has a reason to feel like there's nothing else for us to do. I'm going to dribble in and pull up and take a contested 18 footer. Um, I, I think would behoove the Grizzlies.
0: Yeah, for sure, and yeah, there's there's a lot of reliance on the internal development, whether that's Zaire, um, so I, you mentioned Santi. Yeah. Uh guy you didn't mention is, is Roddy. Who I can't uh, figure out Roddy, but Roddy I can't is either. A, Roddy is a I guy who either.
1: sort of like Santi. I think whether he's going to be good or not is a separate question, but his style of play, I think he'll generate shots. Yeah, I, I think sure. you know, I, I think he's a player who will you know get some shots off, create some stuff, and be sort of dynamic in a way. Whether it's dy- dynamic to a good result or not, I really have no idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. For him, I, we won't get too much into it, but I mean, his shot profile at like Colorado State, I was looking at his synergy page. It was like all like all like A-plus grades or whatever yeah. because he could score in a lot of ways. And I know uh, Chris Vernon has been adamant that Roddy will play. So maybe that's somebody. But yeah, I agree, though. Just maybe putting him next to multiple creators, whether that's empowering Zaire more or really relying on that Tyus Jones, Brandon Clark pick and roll, that could probably, I don't know. There, it's just, it's a confounding thing because this is who Dylan Brooks has been for six seasons now. Right. And he's always, and it's not his fault entirely. Like you said, ja, the jaw injury last year, Jaron injury before that, even his rookie season, that his season went to hell. Um, yeah. so it's interesting. I'd like to see Dylan's three point shot bounce back.
1: His three yeah. point shot, he, his career, I believe, I believe his career worst three point shooting last season. I think it's like 30, 31%. Yeah. Before the last season, he was like a career of 35, 36, like nothing special, but like pretty solid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and his three point shooting was so bad last season that I think it sort of disguised. He, there was some stuff around the edges with him, his, his, his free throw stuff his free throw rate went up last season his assist rate went up his turnover rate went down his two point percentage still not very good but did go up like there's a lot of little things around the edges there that I think would have looked better if he had made a better percentage of his threes and had just shot the ball a little bit less overall i, I you know i still i think there are answers there to be found whether they can find them i don't know
0: yeah i do think that hand injury kind of no, that's derailed. a good point yeah, like that that took out the almost the entire offseason for him. And then you can kind of tell he was compensating for the hand in some way. I, I think it would we've seen on the socials so far of the uh, the team shoot around so far. And his shooting looks about where it was pre pre injury. So we'll see. But uh I got two more questions here, which you know I said it's gonna be the biggest season of his career because of one. It's the last could be the last chance he has to prove himself in long-term standing and to his next contract. Right. Um, the thing, the thing with Bang, or the thing with this fit, it's so interesting. So, you know, he was an, ob- he seemed like an obvious trade candidate because of the team's record without him. And the fact that Zaire's development progressed as quickly as it does. Do you think the re the reason they've kind of held off and one thing that could help him, be a long-term fixture here is he works so well with jaw, Jaron and Bane. I want to say last year and like, it was like less than 300 possessions. And for context, like the quartet for Boston of smart Tatum Brown and Williams played 1500 possessions together. They had a similar net rating. It was both plus 21 per hundred possessions. Do you think his fit? And I guess the team's excellence and the metrics with it with those four guys kind of has kept Dylan Brooks in the picture here now and could keep him in it long-term?
1: Um, Yes and yes. But, but, but I would also say, I, I, you know, I, it wouldn't, it's not going to surprise me in the least if Dylan Brooks gets traded, but I think, I think at least for now, I think there's a certain pretty high threshold for that. Um, I don't think they've, I think a, they like Dylan Brooks and B, even though they're probably not going to get a, an extension done, I don't, I don't have any sense that they've rolled out, re-signing Dylan Brooks next summer and Dylan Brooks being a long-term fixture. Um, I, that, all that said, I think he is among the more likely Grizzlies to get traded, but I don't think they've reached a point and I don't think they will, although they could come Mm -hmm. deadline time. If they've decided we're not going to re-sign them, maybe they reach a point where they're like, let's get something, but I don't think it's come somewhere close to that point. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's not, if it's not a move to get someone better than Dylan Brooks, I, I you know I don't see a re- a reason to have done that, you know I, I think there are different kinds of trades. There's the this guy's not working for us, we're gonna lose this guy. Let's recoup value trade, and there's the we are only trading this guy if we can get somebody better than this guy trade, and I think my I suspect, I suspect they've been willing to do the second the second of those the if we can get mm-hmm. someone better, um you know I'm just speculating but but if a Jalen Brown or an OG Ananobi or one of those kind of players had been you know. So in a Dylan Brooks and a first round pick or two first round picks or however many first round picks and other stuff, I don't think they would have been reluctant necessarily to do something like that. But the idea of like, you know, like Jay Crowder and Phoenix right now, like, you know, we are looking to move this guy. I I don't have a sense it's ever gotten to that point. And maybe it will by the deadline if they think they're not going to re-sign him. Right. But but I don't, I don't, I I have no sense that they they have ruled out a long-term relationship with Dylan Brooks.
0: Yeah. And I will say this is probably something to revisit at a later time. But though that that factor, I get I guess with Danny Green and evil Danny Green, the fact that they combined for $21 million, that could be right. a that could be one of the biggest X factors of the deadline, but obviously yeah. that's not a conversation for now. But uh let's let's close with this here. So you brought up the extension. I always thought he would it would be kind of I, I wouldn't say foolish because money money is money, like, but I don't think it would have been in Dylan's best interest to sign the extension because I thought he could have got, I think he can get more than that four and 61 million. Right. And I was looking at other comparable deals and I saw where guys like and compar- comparable guys like Derek White, Marcus Smart, Tim Hardaway Jr. They all got at least $70 million over four years.
1: And th- and, Youth, that, and that was in a lower cap
0: than the one that was where, in a the lower one that's cap. coming up. Right. So there might be a team out there. That needs a culture reset that's like, hey, let's get this guy who's a young vet at Memphis. everyone braves about Memphis culture. He could be a guy that could be a leader for us. He might get 20 mil annually. He might get a 4 and 80 with the cash. I mean, what do you think his next deal looks like? I mean, back last year back during the season, I thought that an
1: extension was a possibility. It seemed like, you know, sort of a 50-50-ish or, you know, maybe a maybe proposition once we started to get news about the cap spike coming, it became a this is not going to happen situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, the rationale would be 61 million is nothing to sneeze at, and you never know. Something could happen with your career. Let's lock up 61 million. But mm-hmm. I, think, I think if Dylan Brooks has a decent season, he does not have to be better than he's been, frankly. If he has a decent season, he will probably get more than that on the market next summer. You know, look right. at someone like Keldon Johnson. It, it is sort of – I don't know if he'll get a lot more, though. I mean, Keldon Johnson got – 474 yeah 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 so it was re- reported as like 80 but there's all kinds of incentives and stuff um is dylan brooks better than kelvin johnson today i think he probably is is he a more valuable player at you know com- quote-unquote commodity hot commodity as dylan brooks said on, on media day is he more valuable in that respect going right. forward uh kelvin johnson probably is because he's younger and, and you know the youth and the size and all that and so if you set that as a kind of baseline i, I don't you know, we'll see where contracts go. I, I think Dylan will do better than the deal that I suspect he has turned down. I don't know if the Grizzlies have offered him that. I don't know why they wouldn't. Right. I, you know, the, the, the idea, even if you don't like Dylan Brooks, the idea that it would be crazy to get to lock him up for 460, like I think that would be a good deal. I think any team would, would probably do that. Um, I suspect he'll he will he will do better than that next summer, but I don't know if he's gonna blow the roof off things, especially if. like, I think his scoring average is going to go down. I I think, you know, everything we've been talking about I think if Dylan Brooks averages 18 points a game this season, it's probably not because Dylan Brooks made a big leap. It's because your offense is not working the way it should.
0: Right. Yeah. I I totally agree there. It's, it's going to boil down to also to just how, how impactful is he when it comes to his non-scoring stuff? Does he, does he improve as a rebounder? Does he up his assist average once again? Or does do fan or do the voters overlook his defensive playmaking and his fouling and give him an all-defensive bid? That stuff like that is gonna kind of determine it. Maybe even if he plays a big part in the Grizzlies making like a Western Conference Finals run, that's right. where I run into a scenario where it's like, okay, this might blow up a little bit. But yeah, I, I think. I think, you know, I feel like if the 4-61, if that was the number for him, I think they would have already gotten there because that also gives him a higher number to use in trades. But I, I kind of lean more like he's going to get at least $70 million in the yeah, market. So I think that's right. Yeah. Chris, do you have anything else to add or plug in before we close out here? I don't. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Yeah, make sure y'all – or checking out Chris's work over at the Daily Memphian. He really just kind of covers everything in the city, including the Memphis Grizzlies. Make sure you uh, f- subscribe and check out the great team over there at Daily Memphian, Chris, uh, Jeff Calkins, Drew Hill. They do awesome stuff there. And make sure you are plugged in with Grizzly Bear Blues at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Flocka. Make sure you are subscribing and leaving a five star review for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, so you're not missing a single episode of GBB Live, the Starting Five Podcast, Core Four Podcast, the Next Gen Podcast, and Grizzly Bear Bets. And that'll be it. We will see y'all next week.